Morning, church. Help me out. Did I hear this correctly? Did Pastor Dave talk about sports this morning? Did he? (laughs) Miracles never cease to happen. Oh, Dave, we love you. And we do want to give a shout out to uh, the Wauseon boys basketball team. Um, a, couple of the, a couple of the kids and their families attend this church. And uh, so we think of uh, Brooks and Trent and uh, Dawson. He's come here on Wednesday nights. And so a lot of these kids and their friends are closely knit. And it's so good to see that celebration. When God gives you a gift, you use it. And when you have the opportunity to give him the glory for that gift he's given you, you do it. And maybe you've seen pictures posted on Facebook or other places. If you not, remember not too long ago, Archbold and Wasion, rival teams, played each other. But after the game, they met at center court and they prayed. And that is an incredibly uh, cool thing. These kids, we work with them through FCA. And a lot of them, their faith, they're like, we want to live it out. So they do that. And it's a neat thing that both teams, both Archibald and Washington, are actually heading to state next week. And that's, that, that's, that's just great to see. But I, I don't want to uh, lift them up so high and say, way to go, that we forget about all the other students in the other sports, in choir, in band, the efforts that they put in, the grades. Um, God has gifted our young people in so many different ways, whether it's either education or art or sport. And so... Um, you know, we just thank God that we are such blessed people to have such talented kids. Uh, but we do uh, want to say thank you, God, right? So when you see teams meet up center court or you see somebody walk out, probably after a test, thank you, God, it's over, right? Um, we do want to thank God, though, for the gifts he gives us. And so it's been fun to see in such a practical way that being accomplished. Um, we do want to pray, though, for those that aren't celebrating so much what's uh, going on, but think of those in our church, uh, Shannon Borton, whose father passed away a week ago, Scott Zen, whose mother's passed away uh, just a couple days ago. Pray for the Zen's family. Pray for the Borton family as they go through loss. Many of you in this church, you've had a parent uh, that has passed away in the last year or two, so you know exactly what they're going through, and you know exactly how to pray for them. So I ask that you do that in praying for them. Um, if you would, grab your Bibles. Okay. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. Somebody in the back will bring one to you. And we'll make sure you've uh, got God's Word in your hand. And open up to the book of John. John chapter 9. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth book in that New Testament. John chapter 9. And as you're turning there, I, I want to read this story to you. I know, beyond a shadow of doubt, I know... Probably 90% of you in this room have heard this story before, okay? But it's a humorous story, and um, I enjoy reading it. I don't even know if it really has anything to do with today's sermon, but anyway, I want to read it, okay? This is a letter from a gentleman, again, um, you know, a lot of people say it's true. Other people say it's not true, okay? Regardless of whether this story is true or not, it's funny, okay? Letter starts off like this. It's a letter from a gentleman that was writing to his insurance company explaining an accident that took place with him. And he's trying to explain to the insurance company what exactly happened. Dear sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information in block number three of the accident reporting form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You asked for a further explanation and I, I trust the following details will be sufficient. 
I am a bricklayer by trade. On the day of my accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found I had some bricks left over, which weighed um, later were found to weigh 240 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building on the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, loaded the bricks into it, then I went down, untied the rope, holding it tightly to secure a slow descent of the 240 pounds of bricks. You note on the accident reporting form that my weight is 135 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind, forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a very rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel with the bricks, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, the minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone as listed in section 3 of the accident reporting form. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley, which I mentioned in paragraph number two of this correspondence. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly onto the rope, in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to experience. But approximately at the same time, however, the barrel bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. Again, I refer you to my weight, 135 pounds. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and several lacerations on my legs and lower body. Here, my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto that pile of bricks. Unfortunately, or fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, as I lay there with a pile of bricks, in pain, unable to move, watching the empty barrel six bar stories above me, I again lost my composure and presence of mind to let go of the rope. And down it came. Now, again, true story, I don't know. Every time I read that story, I just, I just, I just picture it happening, and I think, oh, the pain that he is in right now, right? And, and I, I can't believe this, but I must be cruel, but I'm like smiling about a guy with pain. And then, as we all know this, pain isn't always funny, is it? I don't know if anybody's ever walked away from an accident or a situation and say, huh, boy, that felt good, and we know it's painful. We don't. We don't do that. But at some point in time, every human being is going to experience pain and suffering. We all experience pain and suffering. Think about this. When you come into this world, somebody is in pain. Right, ladies? You're born into pain. Some inflict pain upon themselves. Others receive it. Most suffer. All of us experience death. And, and we step back and, and we have to ask this, and we, we all do this. In those moments of pain and suffering and death, we all ask, why? Right? Look with me in John chapter 9, starting in verse 111. And just as Jesus addressed this issue two weeks ago, we talked about with Lazarus. Now he's going to come from another approach as he reveals who he is in his identity. Another I am statement. Chapter 9, starting in verse 1. 
As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now, as Jesus and his disciples walked by this blind man, you can sort of picture this happening, this story. The disciples looked at this blind man as sort of an unsolved riddle. That they're wondering, okay, we really don't have any interest in this man and healing him or his condition or anything. We just want to know why it happened. Jesus doesn't dwell on that theological puzzle of the whys, but he dwells on helping the man. Charles Spurgeon said this once, It is ours not to speculate, but to perform acts of mercy and love according to the tenor of the gospel. Let us then be less inquisitive and more practical, less for cracking doctrinal nuts and more for bringing forth the bread of life to the starving multitudes. Isn't that true? See, we often look at situations that people, when they're in pain or something happened to them, maybe they're hurting, maybe they're homeless, maybe they lost their job. Maybe they're suffering from some kind of disease. Maybe they're sick. I'm going to tell you something. In our family, we, it just seemed like we had one injury after another, after another, after another, after another. And people started saying, your kid's got like blood disease or something or bone disease. I mean, they're always getting hurt or something. And it's like, no. But don't we do that? How often have I driven by maybe Toledo, maybe around here somewhere, and I see somebody down on their luck on the corner asking for help. And instead of helping, I ask the question, why are they in that situation? What bad choices did they make? Don't we do that? Just like in the Old Testament, in the story of Job, we find the disciples suspecting that there's more to this than just being an ordinary sufferer. There's got to be a reason for all this. The disciples believed this so much that they wondered, maybe this man sinned before he was even born, if that's even capable of happening. Maybe it was his parents who sinned, and their sins resulted in the sins of their child and the suffering of their child. Maybe that's why. They want to know. They want to know the same thing we always do. Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? Or put another form of question, why do the innocent seem to suffer and prosper in these situations? Was he born blind because of his sin? Was he born blind because of his parents' sin? If, think about this. If this were true, just think about this, okay? If somebody's born blind because they sin or because their parents sin, you know what we'd all be doing right now? We'd all be sitting in darkness, wouldn't we? Because we are all sinners. Our parents sinned. We sin. Our children sin. And if our sin causes us to be blind, there would not be one seeing person in this room today. We can read in the Old Testament, the sins of the father were visited upon the children and no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. We can read those things and we see that sin sets in motion a set of consequences. If I sin, when I do, my sin usually leads to a bad consequence. That happens for all of us. That's the way it goes. In some parts of the world, though, it's believed that actions are directly connected with suffering. There are Eastern religions 
that believe this. If your belief were in Hinduism, you would believe in the caste system. And let me explain that to you, how this works. There's karma. We say this all the time, right? We use that word karma as if we just sort of thrown, I don't know if you understand, but that's from an Eastern religion, from Hinduism. But karma is, that, is the law that good begets good. If you do something good, something good's going to happen to you. If you do something bad, something bad's going to happen to you. And they say, that's karma on them. What we usually mean is we just saw something bad happen to somebody and we know that they had made a bad choice. We're just saying they're getting what they deserve. Hinduism calls that karma. Good or bad, they will return to each person in the present life or what they believe in the one yet to come. They also believe in reincarnation. That's also known as a transmigration of the soul. That's a journey basically on the circle of life as they call it where each person experiences through a series of physical birth, death, and rebirth, death, rebirth, and it just sort of keeps going and going. And with good karma, your rebirth is into a higher system. If you have bad karma, your rebirth is into a lower system. You could even come back as a cow. That's part of their thoughts with reincarnation. And then you also believe in nirvana, and that's the goal of Hindu. It's not just a band, okay? It's the goal of the, of the Hindus. They, they believe it's a release from the soul into a, a seamlessly end of cycle of rebirths. It's their version of heaven. But again, if you think about what they believe, we're in trouble if that is true. Our actions directly connected with suffering. Some it can be, some it won't be. Sometimes there's just suffering with no reason. There's a problem with this Eastern religious system is that is this, of salvation. And escape from the cycle. It's not good works. Here's their, their thought is, if I do these good things, I'll reincarnate into something better. If I do these good things, I get something good back. In other words, I can work my way into heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, if I do good things, I'll get myself into heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. Ephesians 2.8.9 says what? For by grace are you saved, through faith, not works. Otherwise, we would boast about it. It's not our works that get us in heaven. Truth is, good behavior is not always rewarded. Bad behavior is not always punished. And so sometimes the innocent suffers and the godly are hurt. And the guilty sometimes flourish. And it doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't seem fair. But we've all heard that, that life isn't fair. And for somewhere along the line, somebody picked up the Bible and they said, well, it's got to be in here somewhere that every, every, it's fair for everybody, right? You won't find that in here. Life isn't fair. Think about this. If God removed suffering whenever we asked for it, just think about this. We would most likely not follow him out of love We'd follow him what? Out of convenience and comfort. If God removes my suffering and pain every time I happen, you know what? I'm only going to follow him so that I feel good. It's convenient for me to follow a God that makes me feel good. Instead, I want to follow God out of love and devotion. Just as you have a relationship with somebody on this earth, your spouse, a family member, you love that person knowing that you're going to fail them. And they will probably fail you. But you love them out of devotion. Not of what you're going to get out of it. 
So why was this man born blind? Why do bad things happen to good people? Jesus answers that is so that the power of God can be seen. So that the power of God can be seen. Doesn't that sound like the story of Lazarus a couple weeks ago? Oh, Lazarus, he isn't, he isn't sick. He isn't dead. No, no, no. You're going to see something incredible happen. You're going to see my glory. You're going to see the glory of God, right? Remember that story. Jesus doesn't try to explain sin and suffering relationship. Instead, Jesus uses this as an opportunity to say, this is what God can do. In this suffering, in this sin, this is what God can do for you right now. Suffering's an opportunity to demonstrate the glory of God in our lives. And it's a sensitive subject. And I get this, but I want to share this with you. Years ago when Hollis Reeker passed away, and I did her funeral, and it was like, how can this be, right? Okay, so at her funeral, as tragic as it was, in the midst of her funeral, salvation was preached. Lives were impacted eternally. Two days later, I officiated the funeral of another young man. This was a totally different funeral. This young man did not know who Jesus Christ was. And the people who showed up at the funeral wept because they had no hope. And his best friend stepped up in front of everybody and said, I have no idea where you are now. And he walked off the stage. Oh, the contrast between two funerals. One funeral was that of a a young lady who had committed to give her life to Jesus Christ. And the other one was a young man who didn't. And in that suffering moment, either suffering is an opportunity to demonstrate the glory of God or the hopelessness of life without God. As believers in Jesus Christ, God can and will work through these situations for his glory. And maybe we shouldn't ask the why question, but instead just ask for strength. Ask for peace. Ask for hope and understanding. It's possible that our finite minds can't understand how big this is. And I know it's hard because we want an answer, right? But the world isn't a vending machine. Think about this. You walk up to a vending machine and you put your money in, you push that button, you get out what you put in, right? And sometimes we want that the way to be in life. We go to God, we put in our prayer to Him and we expect Him to give us out. Sometimes it just doesn't work that way. Our actions have consequences. Good things often happen as a result of good choice and bad things often happen as a result of bad choices. But sometimes it just doesn't work that way. Sometimes we make a good choice and we get a bad result. It just happens that way. Have you ever hit the Pepsi button and you come out of Sprite? Does that ever happen to anybody? Have you ever hit the, I'm getting myself a, a, a Snickers, and you get a Milky Way? Who wants Milky Way? Right? All right, a couple of you raise your hands. All right. Hang with me, because sometimes that happens to me. I'll give you my Milky Way. All right? But have we ever wagered with God? We tried to manipulate God, like, hey, God, if you do this for me, I'm going to, as if God's like, oh, well, since you're going to do that for me, I will answer this prayer. Do we really think we can manipulate God and get him to change his mind for our glory? No. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, wrote this. If God were good, he'd wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy. Therefore, God lacks either goodness or power or both. And without the Bible without discovering the wisdom that he brings to life, we would be left to believe such things as he wrote. However, God did speak to us through his word to give us answers, to give us insight. And then listen, 
they're not just pat answers to the questions of human suffering that we want. These are answers that some of time, but not all the time that we want, but we can't say that it's always expected of the human's life to have a truly healthy life. We can't expect those kind of answers. Suffering is not always the direct result of sin and bad choices. Sometimes suffering can't be corrected. Sometimes it wakes us up and puts us on the right path where God wants us. Sometimes suffering comes along to sharpen our character. Sometimes it's given solely, solely so that God can receive glory. We don't have the pat answer to all this. The world is full of darkness, and regardless of whose fault it is, there's good news. Look at the person next to you. Tell them there's good news. There's absolutely good news. And in this point in time, you're sitting there saying, good Rex, because I'm tired of you talking about sin and suffering. There's good news. Let's read on in John chapter 9, starting in verse 3. Jesus says this. It wasn't because of his sins or his parents' sins that Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night's coming. No one can work. But while I'm here in this world, I am the light of the world. You know, Jesus said this, again, this blind man's situation was not caused by maybe a specific sin he did or by his parents, but it was for his glory, right? And speaking in this man's situation, Jesus told him that even in this blindness, even in this man's suffering, the plan of God was about ready to be revealed as to why this was happening. God's not up in heaven trying to hit people. God is love. God's not up in heaven trying to hurt people. God is love. God is not up in heaven trying to just toy and mess with us. God is love. And how many times have we done wrong, sinned, and know that we deserve punishment, yet in those moments, God gives us grace. He doesn't do to us what we did deserve. Think of all the times that little boy, now that blind man, but when he was a boy... Can you imagine he's born blind? He'd go to his mom and say, Mom, why can't I see? Imagine how many times he maybe asked his mother that. And his mother probably had no answer. I don't know, son. I don't know why you're blind. Mom, doesn't God love me? Yes, God loves you. Then why am I blind? I don't know, but I know God loves you. Jesus explained it's because God wants to work in and through us. And Jesus pointed the question away from the why. Because listen very carefully. In this passage, as you're reading it, it's like, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Jesus turned this situation and goes, let's not talk about the why anymore. Let's talk about what God can do in this. What can God do in this? And here's the thing. We want to know why, right? For everybody in this room and something, you know, you're going through a situation, you want to know Why? Maybe we don't have the answer to why, but God says, listen, listen, there may not be a why in this because we live in a sinful, broken world, but I want to let you know something. There's something that I can do in it. I maybe can't answer your why right now, but I will tell you, I want to do something in your life right now. I want to do something with this. In this man's case, the specific work of God would soon be revealed. His blindness would be gone. And instead of focusing on the man as a theology problem, which we often do, right? Jesus saw him as an opportunity to do something for the work of God. 
Jesus sensed an urgency to do this while it was still a day. Jesus is always about work. And Jesus is like, I'm on a mission to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus wasn't like, I'm just going to sit around today and then I'll get at it tomorrow. Jesus is like, I'm getting at it now. He understood the shortness of life. He understood the opportunities of service and doing good don't last forever, so I better get at it right now. Jesus knew that healing this man on the Sabbath would probably cause problems with religious leaders, but Jesus didn't care because what mattered before him was this man that was hurting. Look at verse 5. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus makes an incredible statement before performing an incredible miracle. Another one of the I am statements. I am the resurrection. I am the bread of life. And now I am the light of the world. The light of the world. What an amazing thing to say to a man who's blind that all he's ever seen is darkness. He has no clue what light is. We do because we can see. But he's blind. He knows darkness. And Jesus is standing right beside him and goes, I'm the light of the world. Never seen light. Don't know what that is, sir. John 1, 8 to 9. Dan's going to throw four scriptures on the screen here. Each of these scriptures from the book of John talk about Jesus being the light of the world. John 1, 8 to 9. Jesus himself was not the light. Or, I'm sorry, John himself was not the light. He was simply a man to the witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John was talking about Jesus coming. The light of the world. John 3, 19. The judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, Jesus Christ. But people loved the darkness more than the light, and their actions were evil. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more. He said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. John 12, 46, Jesus said, I've come as a light to shine in the dark world so that you who put your trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. Light changes darkness. As he receives sight, his darkened world is lit up both spiritually and physically. If you read this in John, read with me back in John chapter 9, starting verse 6 now. Then he spit on the ground. He made mud with saliva. He spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And then he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and he washed and he came back seen. I just want you to think about this for a second. Hey, Jesus used something that was very common in ancient uh, history here. Is that saliva had some kind of maybe healing power. Let's think about this. When you cut yourself and you burn yourself, what's the first thing you do? Put in your mouth, right? I'm not saying that saliva does anything for healing power, right? But for them in this time, they're thinking, well, there has something to do with it, right? But it was more than that. Jesus spits in the ground, makes a mud patty, rubs it on his eyes, and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed. And you think about this, this took faith. This took faith. Even when Jesus didn't even promise, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to make you able to see again. I'm going to give you sight. So this is what I want you to do. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. That's all he said. And then he spit in the ground, made mud, rubbed it on his eyes, said, go wash. He never said this is what's going to happen if you wash. Maybe that man just said, this is really gross. I can't believe he just did this. Right? 
<laughs> yeah, I will go wash. No. Do me a favor. Do this right now with me, okay? For those of you um, that are still alert with me, okay? Close your eyes, okay? Everybody just close your eyes. Nobody looking around. Nobody looking. Everybody's eyes closed. No cheaters, okay? All eyes closed. And I just want you to put yourself in this moment. You are the blind man right now, okay? Just, just put yourself in a situation. And just listen. Hey, Rabbi, why was this man born blind? Yeah, was it because of his sins or his parents' sins? He's messed up, right? This happened. So you could see the power of God. And it could be seen in him. Night's coming. No one can work. But while I'm here, I am the light of the world. Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Okay, you can open your eyes. See, that's what I'm talking. If you were the man, we all get religious, like, like, like thou go washeth in the pooleth, right? And we're like, yes, sirth. Okay, no, we're like, you, you can't see. You're just hearing these people talk, and you're hearing Jesus. Say, I'm the other one, and you hear him like spit one in a big loogie. But you know, he's like, oh, this guy's gross. And then you feel this wetness on your eyes. You're going, oh no, that's sick. He's a great teacher. No, he's sick, right? But he maybe knew something about Jesus that we didn't know. And then he has this amazing faith to get up and go wash. I'll go wash, whatever you want me to do, sure. And he's healed. You know, the incredible thing is, up to this point in time, from Genesis to John, no prophet, no priest, no apostles ever healed anybody that's blind. But we can read in Psalm 146, 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. Isaiah 35, 5 says, and when he comes, he'll open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. See, the religious leaders who studied the law knew the law and knew these verses. They knew it's the Lord only that opens the eyes of the blind. And nobody's done it so far. Now Jesus opens the eyes of the blind and they're like, it isn't Jesus. They're so caught up in their pride, so caught up in their religiosity that they just can't see who stands before them, Jesus Christ. Let's finish this off. John chapter... I'm sorry, verse chapter 8, John 9. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some people said, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, I am the one, I'm the one. And they asked, well, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud. He spread it over my eyes. He told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. I went, I washed, now I can see. Well, where is he now? I don't know. All I know is I can see. All I know is that I can see. Church, we don't like pain and suffering. We don't. And those things are going to happen to us. But because of the nature of God, because of his love for us, and my, my thinking and God's thinking are usually not in line with each other. But if I understand that God loves me, in spite of what's going on in my life, I know that he wants to line this up. And he says, I want to do something in your life right now. And you just might be blind to it. But I want to open your eyes to it. You know what's true? Is that while we were still sinning, God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. That is true. And some of us feel separated from God's love. But in Romans chapter 8, it says, what shall we say about these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or, or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither fears for tomorrow or worries about tomorrow, not the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Church, God loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you. Nothing can separate that love. Why do we experience goodness then? Because we don't deserve it, do we? We know that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Because God loves you so much, he wants to do something in your life. This story, the disciples looked at this man. What did they see? They saw a sinner. Who sinned, this man or this woman? People that passed by, they looked at him, what did they see? A beggar. Isn't he the man who sat and begged? The Pharisees looked at this man, they saw him as a tool. They wanted to use him to trap Jesus. Jesus looked at this man and he saw something different. He saw somebody that needed to be saved. The blind man could not see Jesus. But Jesus saw the blind man. Maybe today you don't see Jesus. You don't see him working in your life. He sees you. He sees you right where you're at. Maybe you feel like you're sitting in darkness right now. In pain, suffering, hurt, whatever it may be. He sees you. He knows your pain. He knows the darkness you're experiencing. Don't be surprised if something weird happens and God reaches out to you and loves you. Just like as you hear that spit coming and something, it's like, what is going on? Will you trust God with the next step of obedience? God, I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know what you're doing to me right now. And he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Will you take that next step and put your trust in him? This morning where you're at right now, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your sins to a holy God? If not, you're sitting in spiritual darkness. God says, I want to open your eyes. I want to open your heart. Maybe you're struggling with a different situation in your life. It's something painful, something hurtful, something going on, and it's like, you know what? I feel like I'm in darkness right now. Have you asked Jesus Christ, the light of the world, to come in and light up your life? Trust him. If your vision's blurred this morning, spiritually or physically, you need a fresh, fresh vision from God. Just as he told the man, the blind man, to go wash in the pool of Siloam today, if he's asking you to do something, if he's asking you to trust him, I encourage you to do that. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you, if you need to confess on God, confess. And after we're done today in singing, if you want to come talk to myself or one of the pastors, please do so. We don't want you sitting in darkness. We want you to know the light of the world. We want you to know the one who can take the blindness away from your life and give you new vision. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. I thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you're doing in our life. I thank you for the story and, and the meaningfulness of what it means to sit in darkness, to sit in suffering and pain. And a lot of times we just ask the theological questions, why and how did this happen? And we just forget just to trust you. Sometimes this is just the way life is and it stinks. But you're a Savior who loves us. That's why we call you Savior, because you save us from this. You're the light of the world. You come into our dark places and you bring light. You bring hope. You bring peace. And God, right now, if there's somebody in here who doesn't know you, they don't have a relationship with you, and God, let us begin by just asking for forgiveness. God, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the wrong things we've done, the bad choices we made. God, come into our life. We confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. That you sent him here for us. We place our faith in him and in him alone. Not in the things that we can do, but in him and what he did on the cross. And how he resurrected from the dead. We believe that. Come into our life, Lord. Remove the blindness. Remove the darkness. Remove the sin. Remove the pain. Give us new life, a new vision. And I thank you for this service we have in which we can come and just worship you in song and truth. May we never be the same when we leave this place, God. In thy name we pray, amen.